Hello everyone, it's me, the angry challenger of the new challengers. I'm sitting here with the dreaded challenger. How are you doing today, dreaded? Hey everybody, we are here with another hot and fresh podcast for you guys. So glad that you could tune in with us. Yes, indeed, and today we have another guest today by the name of Josh. How are you doing today, Josh? It's good to have you on the show. Doing great. How about you all? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking, sir. We have you on the show today to talk a little bit about Tekken, talk about organizing tournaments and all manner of things in that subject area. But let's start it out here pretty simple. Let's talk about you. Uh, tell us a little bit about what games you like to play coming up. Like, What was the first game you really started out with? Oof. Oh, um, just playing games. I guess my, I think my first experience was when I was about four years old. I got to play Pitfall on an Atari at some friend of my mom's house. Then when I was six years old, a babysitter had Super Mario and kept running into that first Goomba until they told me how to jump. After that, I cleared the first stage, and I've been hooked since. I mean, I, even the old uh, VTech Socrates uh, system that they used to have back in the late 80s. Wow. I guess I probably wow. got the fighting games around. Yeah, oh, I, did. I had to, I had to go look that up just to make sure I, I had it right. I was like, oh, what is Socrates? <laughs> but um, I, I probably I'd say I got into fighting games. I was really when Street Fighter II World Warrior Face first came out. I actually was in was at a daycare. My first experience with it, we went to a Pizza Hut during the summer, and you know, the, it was one of the tabletop arcade cabinets where you sit down. And it's just like a table. And it was. Daryl Street Fighter, and I was the only kid that could clear the first couple of stages, and that eventually led to other fighters. Um, I was a big Virtual Fighter fan. I ended up getting like an 82 win streak on Virtual Fighter 2. I like a six flag developed Carpal Tunnel. <laughs> it was bad. Um, around Tekken 3, I started actually looking stuff up, and then I started getting competitive during Tekken Tag 1, going to local local events, but not really part of the competitive community, but Towards the end of Tag 1, I, I started getting a little more involved. I, I lurked a lot. You know, I did a lot of reading. and didn't post a whole lot on the message boards. I guess around Tekken 4 was when I really started to travel. and Eventually started playing other fighters to try and help my community level up. And it's been my, my passion since. Tekken 4, okay. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Well, we know historically that Tekken 3 is always, it was just a huge leap forward in the system. And it changed a lot of people's lives. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay, so let's focus on competition now. You are an avid competitor, and we want to know, as people who have not been in a lot of competitions before, differences between competing offline, competing online, and competing at, say, a major tournament, tournament smaller, anything like that. Like, what are the key differences you've noticed between those things, and... You know, what stands out to you? Just could you maybe talk to us a little bit about that and give us a little bit of your experience that we can share with our audience? Playing online, I guess you could say that there's the the anonymity of it, the the freedom to kind of portray yourself however you want to be portrayed. But um, with online, it would I guess it would really depend on what that person's focus would be. If they're a, you know a ranked match monster, then it's all about those. You know, it's all about using a couple of dirty tricks, and you can get away with just kind of using the same style of play and never truly adapting. If you've got a couple things that work online, and there's also little things such as uh, fundamentals aren't nearly as strong online as they should be. Punishment, for example, is it has gotten weaker in Tekken Tag Two with the introduction of a second life bar, but 
it's also difficult to punish a, a hop kick that can take 50% and it's supposed to be minus 12, minus 13. You try to punish it, but online your opponent can duck, maybe do the lag and then launch your punish. So you've got, you've got some incons, you've got a lot of inconsistencies online. Where offline, it's, it's a much more consistent, you know, there's, a lot, there's a lot more fundamentals involved. You can't just get away throwing a bunch of parlor tricks out there. Uh, and with tournaments, you have to be able to adapt your style. You can't just go into a turn with a couple of you know, parlor tricks or setups that you might have. You've got, you've got to go in there and be able to adjust your game. You've got to be able to play against your opponents because now, with especially with brackets and pools being posted up and people being able to see who they're going to come up against later, they start scouting you. And if they happen to see that you have a particular, you know, pattern that you like to go to in a certain situations, they will discover that and they will expose you for it. So I guess the the real big thing would be consistency, in my opinion, um, and reliability. You can't really take an online tournament results as the gospel. You know, there's too many variables that can interfere with the game itself. That, that's my opinion. I mean, you can always play and have a great time. But I don't think that you truly get not only the experience of the game, but the culture of the game. You know, the people. Being being an online warrior and having a couple of friends that you run into every now and then in, you know, the, the battle rooms, that's that's nice and all. But when you go to an event and you get to see all these people, talk to these people, there's so many walks of life. And I mean, if you're a young professional, it's a great networking opportunity. It's just, there's there's no comparison. I I. Night and day, I I will forever tell anybody that is an online warrior, if you can go to a tournament, just go once. If not to really find out where you stand, then to at least have that experience of meeting people, having a great time. It's like anime, it's like you know anime kids who love to go to anime conventions. It's a great experience. Go do something you you have fun doing. I actually realized that we forgot to mention something. Tell us a little bit about your tournament experience so that the audience knows where you're coming from. Oh, sure. Um, from a competitive standpoint, I've got several, um, several different places. Was, I've also had to unfortunately take that step back and play more of a, of an organizer role. But I mean, I, I still try to, to play the game. I still try to keep up with things. And especially as a, a TO, I believe it's very important to be a part of the different communities so that you can give these, give these folks the, the best, the fairest and the best possible experience they can have. If I, if I were to just walk into, let's say, for final round, I had to run the Soul Calibur 5 tournament. Um, I'm not a Soul Calibur player by nature. I played Soul Calibur 2 a good bit, a little bit of 3, but I wasn't really familiar with the community. So I took it upon myself to go to the Soul Calibur community and a couple people I knew, such as RTD, Hawkeye, Cab, etc., and, and asked them, who are the good players? Who should I keep an eye out for? Are there any training partners that might come from different states, but they're in an online clan together? It's a lot of that. But in terms of you know what I've done competitive-wise, I've done um, well, a lot of top 16s. Never quite the belt, the ball. I almost broke a... I think my only top eight appearance was at MLG Philly back during 5.0. I got fifth place then. Got ninth place at East Coast Championships 10. I've got numerous top 16 finishes at final round. Um, I believe I might have gotten seventh place at V time three way back, maybe ninth. A lot of those hovering, you know, that upper that upper mid tier section where you can't quite break into the elite. <laughs> After that, I started mainly running, you know, just running events. Uh, final round, the Fall Classic, which is going on this weekend. I'm driving up there tomorrow to run brackets. 
and then Kumite in Tennessee. I just recently joined the staff of uh, when they when they reformed, and I'm trying to trying to see if I can get my mitts in any other events that might have me. Well, that's that's pretty awesome. That's that's good experience. Uh, like we told people, we have experience running smaller tournaments, but uh, with those larger, you know, kind of the larger name tournaments, what kind of logistics uh, have you had to work out? Like, what kind of work do you have to put in to prepare the best tournament possible? Whew. Like I said, you get be familiar with the community of the the game you're running. You have to be up to speed on who's who's hot now, who's rising, who are the kind of the old legends that are also in there. Whew. There's there's so much that really goes into it now, especially with streaming. When uh, when streaming got added to added to events, that really kind of upped the workload, but it also upped the exposure. So it's a you got to take the good with the bad. Um, I would say probably the oh, wow. main things would be seating, region people, what regions folks come from. So you have to know who plays who on a regular basis. If there's any type of um, beef that's going on, that's something that I I take pride on pride in. I kind of look at it as a, as the tournament organizer as kind of like a, a bookie for matchmaking, uh, almost like the, the the booker for a pro wrestling event or Joe Silva for the UFC who sets the fights up. You have a lot of folks that just kind of want to divide everybody up, throw it into an online bracket maker, and then let it go. Um, I prefer to seed everybody out first. I look at who I think is going to be in the top 16. I separate them, take the next top 16, separate them, and then I start going by region, making sure it's all balanced. And that's a that's a, a heck of a, a load, depending on how many folks you have. For uh, the Fall Classic, we have 81 pre-registered, which I'm, I'm really happy about because I think we had 40 pre-registered last year. And the year before that, though, we were well over 100. But that could definitely take some time. Uh, setups are a big, big thing. Got to make sure you have setups with updated versions of the game, you know, working copies of the game. If you've got, you know, DLC characters, make sure you've got those bad boys on there. Um, with pools now, pools have made things a lot easier when it comes to scheduling. It's, it's much easier to get a 16-man bracket or a 16-player bracket done in two hours than it is to get a 250 plus you know, player bracket done over the course of eight to 10 hours. It's that becomes pure chaos. So I, I, I was a little hesitant at first about the pool system, but I've come to love it now. You got to look at your amount of entrance, amount of pools. A big thing now with streaming being added is that you've got to have commentators and you've got to have commentators that you can trust as well as who can entertain and be knowledgeable. In the tech community, that's very difficult to do because we don't have a very strong streaming presence outside of a couple of players. And they're very high in demand to do commentary, even on events that they're not even attending. Um, Eris would be one of them. Mm-hmm. Everyone, oh, they love Eris. I would love to have Eris at every tournament that I can, but you know, he's the man has to you know pay for his tickets just like everybody else, and he got to respect you know the economy. You got if he can't make it, he can't make it. So, of course, be be willing to listen to other commentators. Uh, you gotta look at your volunteers, how many volunteers you might have, any international players you might have, and type of language bound, language boundaries they run into. And I think a really big thing too with, especially with streaming, aside from the commentators, is making sure that you have quality matches on the stream and that there's no dead time. Uh, that's very important. And that's pretty difficult to do because you kind of have to babysit players telling you, hey, you're next on the stream, stay here. Don't that doesn't mean go outside and have a cigarette with your friends and then go walk down to grab something to eat somewhere. I'm just going to disqualify you then. Wow, that hits really close home for us. Yes, it is hard. To, it's hard to herd the cattle. Crowd control is a very important oh, yeah. part. What do you think is the most difficult, most essential part of the tournament? 
I think the most the most difficult thing to handle really is letting players know that you're not going to float them. Uh, that's that's tough, you know, especially in you know regional events. You know, the final rounds in Atlanta. Atlanta has a very strong Tekken presence, and there's a ton of Atlanta players. And you know, previous final rounds when we used the big bracket, we were able to you know, to float people by region when it got later into the tournament. So that top 16, top eight, you didn't have New York versus New York, Atlanta versus Atlanta. But with the pool system now and the ability that we have to keep everybody better separated, it's really difficult to let these guys know. I mean, especially when you're friends with them, you know, you've got history with them. Say, I'm sorry, you know, I I would love to, but I have a job to do, and you have a job to do as well as a player. So I can't I can't do that. I can't I can't make these special exceptions for you as much as I would love to. I can't, and I think that just. Being able to tell people no is the hardest thing. I, not for me. I'm a, I've kind of developed a reputation for being a, you know, a no BS type of guy. I'm very, you know, very loud <laughs> at events where I have to disqualify people, and I make sure that I let people know how appreciative that we are that we're getting free money from them for not showing up. <laughs> so, could you explain the pool system here to our listeners who might not know exactly how it works and what it is? Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm sure most people are familiar with uh, March Madness and the NCAA, you know, the big bracket everyone does at work and all that. Uh, that's very, it's pretty much kind of along the lines of how we used to do things. And then with the Adventist, when Street Fighter 4 was released and there was that whole new resurgence within the fighting games community, we then had to look at, ooh, we can't use these big brackets anymore because as I was saying earlier, you have people waiting for their matches. If you've got, if you look at a bracket and you see that you're at the bottom of the bracket, you're figuring, I'm not playing for a while. So you're going to leave. But the thing is, especially when it comes to the first round of a tournament, this was a, a the first round was always a nightmare until the pool, pool system brought in that final round. And you would just start going down, call people out. And that first round, you wouldn't DQ people until you got to the bottom of the list and then got back to the top and started recalling the matches. And then you started giving people time and then that's when people started getting really upset. Hey, can you let me back in the event? I didn't hear my name. No, sorry. <laughs> you should have been here. But now with the pool system, rather than having a, a 256 player bracket, now we have 16 pools of 16 players. And that, again, it's much easier to run a 16 player bracket than it is a 256 player bracket. You know, a six, uh, the pools would basically be you have 16 pools of 16 players for a, a tournament that has a cap of 256. Uh, the Fall Classic, for example, is going to be capped at 128. So we would have eight pools of 16 players for this one. And in this scenario, we're going to be taking the top two players of each pool. So you have each pool is double elimination. You're going to have a winner. You're going to have a winner's final winner, and then you're going to have a winner of the loser's final. And both of those players will then advance to a and since we're taking two players from eight pools, we're going to have a top 16 final bracket. And then that top 16 goes down to top eight and so on. Awesome breakdown of that. Yeah, that's definitely a lot easier. It's, it's, it's so helpful. It's so, so helpful, especially because with those big brackets, you have so many players walking up to you. Hey, do you have any idea when I can play? You've got to, sometimes you just got to tell them, I'm sorry. You know, I, I wish I could give you an estimate, but I can't. I, if, if you stay right here, though, I can try and make sure you're one of the next ones to play. And, it's, and now you can tell them, hey, you're in pool C24, and that starts at 5 p.m. tomorrow. And that also allows us to 
keep things on schedule because, as I said, when there was a big bracket before, you'd have to run through the first round, and if someone didn't show up for their match, you didn't disqualify them because it was such a large bracket that nobody knew when it was their turn. But now that we have a pool system, you know, my, my policy is pool start, and then DQ start at, you know, five minutes after, and then from that point on, when you get your name called, you have two minutes to show up. That, sir, is a well-run tournament, and thank you for explaining all that. But now, tell us what's a good staff to attendee ratio. Uh, you told us that there were commentator duties and other volunteer stuff, but what types of job titles do you usually give out to your uh, staff? Oh, it, it would really depend on the how big the event is. You're going to need, if it's gonna, if it's a major event, that an annual event such as, you know, uh, CEO, Evolution, Final Round, the Fall Class of Pumite in Tennessee, you know, if it's a recurring annual event, you're going to need definitely a webmaster. You're going to need somebody who's familiar with programming to help you out with build. You know, someone who knows uh, SQL is very helpful in those scenarios where you can build your databases for uh, regist- registrate early registration. Uh, you need game generals. You need room leads, uh, door watchers. It is there's a lot. It's a definitely it's a, it's almost a, like a large corporate structure to be quite honest. When it gets down to Specific tournaments, for example, a tech and tag tournament. Um, I don't look at how many volunteers I need based on the amount of people that I have. I look at how many volunteers that I need based off of the amount of setups that we have. Um, ideally, you can have four setups on one table, and that means you can have four matches being run at one time. If you have a 16-player bracket, that means you have eight first-round matches. You have four TVs. You run the entire first half of that first round right then and there. Um, I, I prefer to have, you know, it, it depends on how many pools we're running at a time. I would like, I prefer to have at least four TVs per pool being run, and then I like to have a volunteer per those four setups. Uh, I'm trying a little bit now to do a little bit more towards the, I guess you could say kind of like the manager side, where I'm trying to do less involvement with the calling of matches, and trying to spend more time with doing live updates and stuff. So for the people that are watching at home, um, as much as I, I have my own personal feelings on people that stream and like to, like to talk a lot of junk instead of show up to events, but you have to respect that the, the stream is the reason why this has gotten a lot bigger. So, um, I'm trying to do a little bit more where I spend less time running, running the pools. And more time doing stuff like updating uh, the online brackets, putting stuff out on social media. And I'm trying to spend a lot more time set it, looking forward and seeing who can be put on stream. And at the same time, balancing that with the time. If you try and load up a bunch of stream matches from one pool, you're going to have a bad time. So there's there's a delicate balance that has to be made so that you don't hold up the, the, you know, the tournament just so you can get this one match on stream that you really wanted to have. And actually, another thing to go along with that is that uh, now that we stream, you have a lot of folks that want to see their friend play. And that's always been an issue before where, hey, my buddy's playing. Can I watch him play, then play? You know, Sometimes you you got to be the jerk and be like, no, you can't. <laughs> I mean, you can if you're out of the event, but if you still want to participate, you need to play now. So it sounds like the message you want to try to send is, if you set the rules, you have to carry them out, you have to enforce them, and don't bend. Because when you give one person an inch, they want a mile kind of deal. I think that's the message you're trying to relay to us. Very wise, sir. 
And that was a little bit of an issue, especially when streaming started becoming big and the scene started growing. There started, there started becoming a lot more exposure into little things like, uh, I'm not going to name names, but there was a, a year at Final Round where we had some Capcom players that created a big fuss because a couple of them wanted to be floated so that they didn't play each other, and then it created a huge mess. Um, you avoid that by taking control of the tournament. I, I, the way I approach the event is I kind of try and approach the event as both a, a drill sergeant and a father. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you have to show these, these players love and respect. Cause if you want to have respect, you're gonna have to give it. And you can't just come in there and be a tyrant. You've gotta be able to earn their respect. And, you know, coming in there and telling them this is the way it is and that's how it's gonna be, they will end up respecting you more than if you say, yeah, man, let me help you out. Yeah, I'll make sure you don't play your buddy. That's not a problem. I mean, I've, I've actually ended up developing you know, quite a reputation for that when it's when it comes to it, and there I've been asked on a few occasions to help out with Capcom events so that I can tell those guys, no, we will not float you. But at the same time, you have to be able to tell them no. It's like it's like a child. You can't tell the child no and hurt their feelings and make them feel bad. You gotta tell them no and let them know it's it's it's, it's okay to ask. I'm not mad at you for asking, but I can't do it. It's not fair to everybody else. I understand that this is not the answer you wanted and it upsets you to hear that, but I can't put, you know, 200 plus other people's experience at risk and I can't put the integrity of the event at risk just because you pre-registered and your friend didn't. Yeah. We have, uh, we have, um, experience with both drill sergeants and fathers. Uh, <laughs> so that's a, that's a really good, um, that's a really good analogy right there, you know, and especially with the large amounts of people. It can be a fine line. So that that's there. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anything to help help it run smooth. That's a whole lot of information for the first part of the podcast. I'm just really impressed with how enthusiastic you are about Tekken, hosting tournaments, and just being a part of the community and helping it grow. That's an admirable trait, and that's kind of like what we're trying to do with the new challengers, but you just kicked it up to 11. So thank you, and let's just continue on. Just keep spilling that knowledge back on us, man. Shall we continue? Let's, let's. So you and Martial Law both share the trait of being managers. He of a Chinese food place, and you of tournaments. So how has your managerial performance helped you during tournaments? Has it helped you at work? It's actually very funny that you asked this question because I happened to manage a Chinese restaurant for 10 years. <laughs> so I, I, I kid you not. I uh, worked at a little Chinese-Japanese uh, Asian fusion restaurant for almost 10, just, just shy of 10, about nine and a half years I, I managed it. Um, I, would, I would probably say both managerial performance and hosting tournaments they, but they both helped me with becoming a better manager because as a manager, you have to do more with, you know, time and finances and a lot of the, the business stuff. And that, that kind of gets you in that, that mindset of this isn't personal. This is business. At the same time, hosting tournaments, you're, you're very, if you're a part of that community, you, you feed off of that, that excitement and that passion that everyone else has. So it's, they, they both, they both went very well. They went hand in hand together. In fact, I actually got my current job um, in cybersecurity because of my competitive gaming experience. 
I was actually told during the interview, wow, it sounds like you don't have much for base knowledge. But as we started talking about you know, my experience with Tekken and Street Fighter, Guilty Gear, I even was in the arenas for, uh, for World of Warcraft. I was on our server. I think me and uh, my warrior partner, I, ha- I played a Restoration Druid. We were like the third best warrior druid combination during Season 2 or something like that. Um, I mean, I've played League of Legends as well. And, I mean, just being able to... T- I think it's important that anyone can take anything they do and be able to relate it to something else. You know, something as simple as... You know, driving a car, you can equate it to tech and somehow that you'll find a way. It'll be a stretch sometimes, but you can find a way to make it work. Oh, yeah. When you can draw a parallel between what you do for fun and what you do for work and it enriches you, that's really great to hear. And it's good to hear that you can apply the skills you learn playing games to real life making money. So let's take a step back for real quick. What are some funny stories or some strange things that have happened to you that you can talk about here on the podcast and share with our viewers, listeners? Oh, man. <laughs> so many. There's so many. So many. I, I mean, everything from point. the tournament itself and the matches to the, the you know, this, you know all the, the craziness going on with the crowd, the, the you know, the all-night, you know, grind sessions that people on Saturday nights, Friday nights, Sunday nights, people playing money matches and all that in hotel rooms. Go, the My favorite part of going to events is going out to eat with everybody, you know, breaking bread with everyone. That's, that is so much fun. I, I think that I have probably the best time when, you know, I finally get enough time to break away, grab a few players who haven't eaten yet and be like, dude, let's go smash. We, we need to eat. I mean, I don't care if it's a Waffle House or, you know, some little, Hodunk noodle shop in the middle of nowhere. I'm in. That you have some of the best experiences. Then, I guess probably though for a specific story, one probably the, a cleaner story to tell would be uh, there was a final round where we had a player named Ling Massacre who was a well-known Shao uh, Yu player. Um, actually, he has his PhD. Very bright individual. I love him. Uh, Justin, shoutouts if you're out there. Um, he had to play poke chop, Ricky. From Atlanta, and Poke Chop is known as the mouth of the South. Um, very awesome, loud and loud and abrasive, and he's a bunch of fun. They're way, way too much fun. Well, Ling Maskers, we know him as a gentle giant, um, very, you know, very quirky, but just a hilarious, really good-hearted dude. You know, Ricky, being the bombastic, you know, showboating type, you know, they got ready to play on stage at a final round, and Ricky came up first when they announced him first since he was ATL, you know, get the home crowd excited. And he happened to come in there. He had just gone across the street to pick him up, pick him up, pick himself up a pork, so- pork chop sandwich dinner. Not sure if y'all are familiar with the old G.I. Joe cartoons, but if you look up G.I. Joe pork chop sandwiches, it is hilarious. <laughs> but Brian said <laughs> pork chop sandwich was standing there waiting. Justin comes up, Ling Masker, they all stand off. They do a little face off, you know, he's, Kind of hamming up a little bit, and then Ling Massacre just reaches into into the to go box, picks up the sandwich, and just takes a huge bite out of it <laughs> right in front of his face. And he's just like, you know, he's like, just telling Poke Chop, I'm about to eat you, son. <laughs> and, was, and oh my goodness, the crowd went nuts. And only only Ricky could have been a part of this because when when Ling Massacre did that. 
rather than get upset and all, oh, you hit my sandwich and then turn into something ignorant, Hulk Chop just kind of plays up like it was a WWE event, just kind of looking at the crowd like, this man just eat my sandwich. No. It was, it was so <laughs> funny. It was such, it was such a blast. Wow. That, that is an amazing story. And that, that's awesome. Line, you can see the clip of, of Ling Massacre taking a bite out of the sandwich. I'm going to be Googling that later. And I'll definitely be looking that up as well later on and probably post a link in the resources page. But let's take a, a trip down competition lane here Absolutely. and talk a little bit about competing. Now, in the Street Fighter community, you know, we have Flo. I'm sorry to Flo if you're listening for some reason. Uh, not talking trash about you or anything, but he's known for choking. So my question to you is, as a competitor, an avid competitor, and you have all these stream monsters talking about how if I was at EVO, if I was at CEO, if I was at Final Round, I wouldn't lose. I wouldn't let infiltration go all over the world and just embarrass me like that. But how do you, Josh, deal with stress? What type of rituals do you go through? Do you warm up? How do you eat? What are things you do to help cope with stress? Because I know it's got to be really stressful when you're there playing and it's do or die. I just say it really, I guess it would depend on the moment and what this, what's the, the cause of the stress. Um, I, I'm a very big talker, I probably can tell already. I, if I've got people who I can talk to about the game and the matchup, it makes me feel a little more comfortable to kind of talk it through and just kind of review things, make sure my head's in the right place, make sure that, you know, other people, I'm seeing the same thing that other people are seeing and I'm not seeing what I want to see. That, that's a big thing. And just having to remind, just remind myself, this is fun. I, you know, there was a time when I was really competitive and I, I guess that, that killer instinct took over more than nerves did. But, you know, as I've gotten older, a little calmer, a little wiser, you know, I'm not, I guess not as hungry as I once was. The big thing now is just to tell myself, if you're not having fun, why are you doing this? That, you know, if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. You can lose and still have fun. You know, just have fun. You know, my, my days of trying to, you know, get first place, I mean, they're behind me. I'm still going to try and win. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm going to play my hardest and I'm going to try. I'll do every grimy thing I can to win. But I mean, ultimately, if you're if you're stressing out, you have to kind of look at ultimately what what is stress? You know, stress is a your 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 having anxiety. Is it anxiety over something that's happened already or something that's gonna happen? If it's something that's gonna happen, then you're really being quite foolish because then you're putting emphasis on something that hasn't happened yet. You don't know what's gonna happen. So why are you afraid or anxious about this thing? It hasn't happened. It's not. It doesn't exist. You know, therefore, you're afraid of something that's not real. While if it's, you're stressed out over something that had happened previously, then it's, then it's, you know, the whole, it's in the past. Let it go. It's gone. Be present. If you are present, then you can be productive. Wow. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good mindset to have, you know, with anything, but, you know, when, as it relates to gaming, I can see how, how letting that go and, and help you help you deal with a, a better mindset, better competitive mindset in gaming. Do you have any any tips that work for you or that you've seen other competitive players that would help uh, anyone listening 
in, in competing, you know, competitively, what what should people consider when, you know, they're in a tournament and they're playing all these new opponents that they haven't fought before? Ooh. Well, I think uh, one thing that would be very helpful, especially for people who are first going to events, is play the game. Play the game. Don't <laughs> don't post about the game. Don't posture about the game. Play it. And play it judgment-free. Don't play the game, and then when you lose to somebody online who's playing just crazy, don't sit there and try and devalue that player's win or use it as something to justify why you don't like the game. Just play the game. Um, that's a big thing. Um, another thing would be to, once you are playing the game, you have to learn how to develop how to recognize the different types of player archetypes. Um, and the mo- and the most basic three are offensive, defensive, and trickery. Are you playing against someone who's very offensive? They're always coming in and attacking. Are you playing against someone that's very defensive? They're eternaling up, or you know, or do they have a lot of parlor tricks and setups? And then each of those all have subtypes that you can kind of go into as well. The, the defensive player you're playing against, are they def- are they a defensive player in the sense that they have very strong footsies and zoning capabilities, and they can bait whiffs? And they have really, really good punishment. Are they the type that make very strong reads and can land counter hits very, very consistently? Uh, stuff like that. Being able to understand those types of players and what gives those players the most trouble goes a long way. For example, if I'm playing against a Kazuya player, I know that he's going to want to zone me with electrics. So I'm going to use moves such as uh, Marduk's down right kick. It's a down forward. It's a little high crushing low attack he'll duck underneath this big uppercut that Kazuya does and he'll kick him in the shins i've also got a couple other things to kind of keep that out to keep him out there that's all character specific stuff but then you have to look at is this Kazuya aggressive is he trying to keep me out if he's trying to keep me out how's he keeping me out with electrics okay well let me adjust to that is he trying to let, get me to run into counter hits i have to then change the way i play for that and over time, the more you play and the more people you play, you got to play outside of your comfort zone. The more people you play, the more you start to notice that these things do work. That's that's really good advice. Uh, Angry and I were uh, were discussing like play styles uh, as they relate to fighting games and 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 the different ones that you're going to see. So that's a really good insight right there um, you know because we talked we touched on that in a, on a previous podcast and it's really good to hear that uh, you know coming from someone with, with more experience like yourself how would you like personally I know everybody has a different a uh, ritual and a different way to prepare for an upcoming event like do, do you have any anything you do in particular to prepare for an event do you what do you do to keep yourself ready do you have any rituals like how do you take care of yourself before like well, a big tournament what... comes up Oh, yeah, that's a good thing. I think, uh, leading up to event budgeting, that's, you know, that's the one ritual that everybody should get themselves ready for budgeting for the trip. Um, oh, I didn't think of that. You know, getting, yeah, getting, yeah, a lot of, you'd be surprised how many people are like, all right, I'm, I'm ready for the tournament. All right, do you have gas money? No. What? <laughs> so, but, um, I, when I was, when I was playing really heavily, I, about four to six weeks before an event, I'd start training pretty heavily. Um, I'd have drills that I would run for myself, breaking. You know, when I was when I was very active, but I wasn't in you know getting ready for an event. I'd break a hundred throws a day, 
work on doing juggles on both sides with different characters, practice punishment. But when getting ready for an event, I would look at, first off, who am I most likely to see at that event? If, uh, you know, for example, if it was in Atlanta, uh, back during the Tekken 4 5.0 days, everyone in Atlanta had a pocket Paul and a pocket Fang Wei. So I would have to then train to get for Paul and Fang Wei. I have to up my, you know, to 200 to 300, you know, throw breaks a day, uh, working on the different counter matchups and all that. And this was something that I, I found to be very helpful for myself. Other people might not like it. The week of the event, I stopped playing entirely you know, because I found that, you know, when you get really deep into a game, um, you know, just really dedicated to it, you know, eventually a lot of people get burnt out and then they walk away from it. I found rather than before burning yourself out, if you step away from it, you give yourself time to kind of recuperate. It's almost like letting your, your brain muscles regenerate, like you've been, at, been killing the gym for a while. You know, just letting everything get back together, and then when you go back to play, you'll be amazed at how all these things are now part of muscle memory. You're no longer thinking about it because you've given yourself time to kind of get out of that tunnel vision that you've developed where, oh, I'm breaking throws, so now you're only watching the throws and you're no longer watching for the big lows like the Brian Snake edges or the or the, the Fang Wei sidestep fours. Um, I, I would just stop playing the week of, you know, maybe maybe practice a juggle just to make sure I, I was still good. Oh, and another big thing. Don't keep yourself in the training stage. That is one of the biggest mistakes I've seen a lot of players do in a game where a stage environment matters is that they just stay in the training stage. That's a terrible habit to get into because let's say you're playing a character that relies on wall damage. You need to know how to get the character to that wall. Um, and then for when you're actually at the event, a lot of people tend to just not eat, not drink, not sleep. Don't do that. <laughs> take it from someone. Take it from, I've, you know, I've, I've uh, about two, a year or two ago, when I was coming back from a final round, I actually had to pull over on the interstate, you know, with, you know, my wife who at the time was my girlfriend and I, we almost had to go to the hospital. We were about 40 minutes away from any hospital. I was, shaking my hands were curling up because i was so dehydrated um ended up actually having to go to the emergency room twice that same week get get iv fluids was told on the second trip that if i had waited two more hours to come in i probably would have died so please feed oh yourself goodness. drink yeah it was it was rough I, well that, that's also for me i don't i don't get hunger pains so it's i have to remind myself to eat and it's very easy for me to forget um my wife hates it but <laughs> It's, I'm fortunate in that regard, I suppose. Um, but, you know, make sure you can get plenty of rest. I know it's going to be tempting to stay up all night and play with, you know, these top players. Let's say you, you happen to get, you, know, you happen to know somebody who knows somebody and you get into the room with all these top players and you want to play matches all night long. I get it. But don't put yourself at risk. What's, what's going to, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is going to help your game more the next day? Playing this guy, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 times, and then being so tired that you can't apply any of this new acquired knowledge, or playing him a couple times and being like, all right, man, I'm going to go pass out. You guys are more than welcome to keep playing. I'm just going to fall asleep right here. No big deal. And I mean, hell, you could, I, I've done it a few times where I've gone to bed, I've woken up in the, you know, 
four o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. People were still playing. I said, hey, let me get a couple games in real quick, half asleep, and then just roll back over and go to bed. Take <laughs> care of yourself. And and this is pro- and this is something that shouldn't have to be said, but it's going to be. Oh no. For the love of all that is holy, please bathe. Please, please, please bathe. <laughs> We it, it got so bad at final. We we get a lot of big boys at final round now. We get some some big cats out there, and we got to the point of where we just started walking through the crowd with Lysol and Febreze balls and just started spraying dudes, being like, "You stank! Squirt, squirt, squirt! Don't you know? Take a shower, or this will keep happening." It's just the the funk levels. You got to do something about it. Parliament, and Parliament and in that funk. same train of thought, if you gotta take a bam. And you and you got a hotel room in the you know at the venue. Go to your own room to drop that deuce. And if you're gonna have to drop it in the public restroom downstairs, act like you know how to wipe yourself or something. Because oh, if I don't know if you got how bad it is for y'all, but oh, I feel bad for these hotel staff sometimes. You, I've walked into a bathroom and you turned and been like, I'm just gonna go pee outside in a corner. This is you when you're walking, you feel that. That heat of the stank hits you. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Oof. No thank wow. you. Well, wow, we're going there. We have. Well, what we have is like a combination of the heat of the day and the stank of the porta john. So oh, we definitely yeah. feel you on that one. But we feel it's, you. Yeah, we, we feel that. Feel it's not a good feeling, but we do in fact feel you on that. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely um, proponents of taking care of yourself and fitness. As part of, of oh, keeping that edge for for gaming actually, in particular. Yeah. Yeah, fitness is really important to the new challengers. You know, Dreaded and I, when we go to new conventions and things of that nature, we're always trying to go to hit up the hotel gym before we go out. You know, if my girlfriend wasn't with me, though, we probably wouldn't eat, but that's a whole other thing altogether. But... Aside from that, yeah, you know, it's important to get in there, get your cardio, get your weights lifting. It helps you be a better gamer, and it helps you handle stress a lot better. Yeah, we have a few players now that uh, they'll, they'll go down to the hotel gym and, you know, run on the treadmill. It's it, Especially if you, ha- if you have an 8 a.m. pool or a 9 a.m. or you have one of those early morning pools, I know you're going to want to sleep until 7.45, wake up 7.45, brush your teeth, you know, do whatever you need to do, take care of business, and then get downstairs by eight. But you, it will do, it will do you so much better to get up at like six thirty, brush your teeth, go down to the hotel gym, and just get like a twenty thirty minute workout in. If it's just a run, take the run because that's going to prime your body, and you're going to be more awake then. So when your eight o'clock pool rolls around, you got guys wiping the sleep out of your eyes. You still got that pump going from when you were just running on the treadmill. And it's, it, it will definitely provide an advantage. And just when you take care of yourself, things work the way you expect it to work. That is what I like to That's hear. good truth right there. Well, Josh, that's pretty impressive. It's a lot of information you just gave to Dreaded and I, and hopefully we can just keep it on rolling here. You got anything for us here, Dreaded? Yeah, man, that's, that's so much good knowledge uh, that I look forward to applying myself. So I appreciate that. But, yeah, let's move on. Okay, let's peer into the future then. Tell us about Tekken 7. What are your thoughts on Tekken 7? What do you think is going to happen with it? What are your feelings on Tekken 7 as a person with a lot of knowledge about the scene and the community? 
I, uh, I think the best word to describe how I feel about seven is uh, interested. Very interested to see where they go with this. Um, with you know, Street Fighter Four and a lot of the newer games, there's been more. It's mirrored. It's almost mirrored the sports world where there's been more of a push for offense. Um, very similar to the UFC with creating scoring for aggression and such, where now we have these big damage combos and, the, and, and you know all these other things, where it's kind of taken a step away from the fundamentals. I know I spoke earlier on Tekken Tag 2 and punishment being weaker and poking being weaker because of that extra life bar, which makes those big damage combos even more important. But you know when you had... You know, some of the older games, you have people who are getting hit with a generic launcher where in a previous game, you might have lost a, a third of your health. Now you're losing half. Um, with seven, you're still losing half-life on on you know wall combos and such, but that's with a wall combo. It's more specific. I like how they're taking... It seems to be more of an approach to the fundamentals. The ground game is back to being important, but I think that's more of just a, a byproduct of the fact that it's going to be solo as opposed to tag. And I, I have no preference on either. I love tag and I love solo. It doesn't matter to me. Um, but it, it's going to be very, very, very interesting to see where this goes. I Because with the games having been made easier over time, this version of Tekken was created specifically to be more accessible to newer players. They wanted newer players to be able to pick this game up because Tekken has long been regarded as a, as a legacy game, similar to you know Magic the Gathering. If you didn't get started early on and you don't have all that you know, acquired knowledge, in the case of Magic, those acquired cards, you're going to be very far behind. And it's it's very daunting and just overwhelming for a lot of people that want to get into the game because they say, all right, I want to play Tekken. Some people will be like, okay, here's frame data for all 50 characters. No, I want nothing to do with that anymore. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yes, this, the first thing you have to know is how to Korean backdash. <laughs> yeah, oh. and it, and it's funny because that actually used to be a big thing because with backdashing you couldn't block during the backdash, but they made it in Tekken Tag Two and possibly earlier. That might have been earlier, but I know in Tag Two you can block during a backdash now. You just continue to hold back. In Tekken Tag One, that wasn't the case. You had to cancel the backdash, hence Korean backdashing was so important. Um, and that was one of the things that they wanted to address with Tekken Seven. They didn't want to force players to have to learn this special type of movement just to be able to play the game and not get their face ripped off. they you know So now they've added the backwalk animations to where now instead of doing the little shuffle steps that the characters do now, now they take full walk stepping, you know, full walk backwards just like they used to. They made the Okazemi system a little more or less daunting. Gone are the days of, you know, Tekken 5.0 was one of those games where you knock a player down and now it's comes a matter of do you want to lose a quarter of your life or do you want to lose half you really you know what i want you to lose half you're not gonna have a choice in this <laughs> that's been that's been kind yeah. of taken away to where it's now a matter of okay i'm gonna get, i'm gonna hit you once now that you're on the ground and now you're gonna be able to get up that was a a lot of newer players had that issue when they played tech and uh, especially in 5.0 when they ran up on nina players that was yeah. a nightmare for them oh man i can imagine she's ruthless yeah. Okay, so we're talking about Tekken 7. So if you have a new player and you're trying to coach them, what's the premier tech you'd want them to know to help give them the edge when they first start playing? And I know you said they're trying to make the game more accessible, but 
I guess, what's the takeaway you want a new player to have when they get in there to know, hey, this is a technique that you need to work on before anything else, and it's just most important to you? Would you like the my honest answer, or would you like the answer that people want to hear? Let's get the answer that people want to hear first, and then hit us with the honest answer. So the answer that people want to hear, I would say that, you know, something as simple as just understanding how to use the sidestep system, because the sidestep system has changed. Um, you can no longer back that. You can no longer block immediately after initiating a sidestep, which is something that is uh, very, very prominent in Tekken Tag 2. Uh, I, I'm a Marduk player. He's he's fat. He's wide. If I sidestep, certain moves can hit me that won't hit other characters. But if I hit back, he gets skinny because when he takes that sidestep, he squares his hips and his shoulders up. Uh, this is something a lot of people don't seem to, to realize when they play these games. Animation plays a huge role, even in Tekken. Um, you might have an attack that, you know, just paying attention to those little details. If you have an attack that uh, when an opponent blocks it, it pushes them to your left, that means you can sidestep to the right get an even bigger sidestep, and if they try to jab immediately, you're going to get to their back and get free damage. Just understanding how to use that 3D plane. I know a lot of uh, 2D players have difficulty with it. The way I like to explain it to I them did. is... I did. I say sidestepping is jumping. You know, just... Huh. You know, you have homing attacks when it, com- when it comes to sidestepping, and you're tracking attacks that can hit you, just like you, how you have your anti-airs. But it's another way for you to get in and create and to get around stuff. It's, you know, if, if someone's throwing fireballs at you, sometimes you just have to neutral jump in Street Fighter. In Tekken, if someone's coming at you with, you know, jab and then, you know, quick, a quick mid, jab, quick mid, jab, quick mid, sidestep out of it. It's, it's very, very similar in that aspect. Um, and it's also very similar to where you can kind of tell who's not a great player because, you know, in Street Fighter, you have a player that's always jumping, even when you're anti airing them. In Tekken, you have someone that's always sidestepping, even though you're hitting them with homing attacks. So I would say understanding how the sidestep system works, and specifically for your character or characters. Um, now, for my honest answer, the one that people are not going to yes. like, because it's very simple and it's very straightforward, it's learn how to lose. If You have to be able to take an L and learn from it. You have to be willing to throw ego out, all that nonsense and throw it away because Tekken is a game of fundamentals especially with 7 with that return to the single life bar fundamentals are back to being even more important you know so you have you, the only way you can improve those fundamentals is by taking losses so that you know that you have room to grow and you have to be able to take a look at and see honestly why did you lose oh you, you didn't lose because Eddie and Christy are stupid characters you lost because they're not but you know, yeah you kept I mean, they are dumb, but they're fun. And they're, they're so, it's so enjoyable seeing people get so salty when they lose to them. So I, I love it. But Agreed. You, you didn't lose because these characters are stupid and overpowered. You lost because every time Eddie went into relax, you ducked. And he just launched you every time. Mm. And when you did block the launcher, you never punished it, even though you got a free launcher. So you have to learn how to take L's. you got to learn how to lose. It doesn't mean learn how to lose gracefully. It means learn how to lose intelligently. Just grow from your mistakes. Take a look at, you know, what did the most damage to you? How how did you end up acquiring damage? Was it because you kept getting punished? If that's the case, do less punishable attacks. Play safer. Did you take most of your damage from getting thrown? You need to start throw breaking. 
you know, did you get launched a lot because you were ducking? Stop ducking. You got to learn how to lose because you will never win if you do not understand how to lose. Yeah, man, that's a, such an important lesson in life, but also in Tekken. I hope that everyone here listening can take that to heart no matter no matter what video you know, no matter what fighting game you're playing, that's that's just that's just a good habit to be in. I know a lot of times like I'll be online and I'll lose to a quote unquote scrubby Ken and I'll just get really mad, but I'm like, Man, he was just throwing us for Yukins and that's why I lost. Now nah, and then I have to be like, Well, I could have blocked any one of those and, and probably taken the match, so that's on me. So I mean it's so true. And that's good knowledge. And we really appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing your philosophies about Tekken and, and winning and, and learning. We actually have a podcast that we worked on that will be coming up here once our interview series is over about bad habits. And in it, we discuss like a newer player will play, say me in Street Fighter 4, and I'll win and they'll say, well, the reason why you won is because Poison's a good character. It's like they're deflecting their loss and lack of ability to compensate for my setups and whatnot on the fact that Poison is a great character. And she is. She's got great footsies, a great fireball, a strong throw, and all that. But you have to give some credit to the player, or you yourself, the player, won't become better at the game. And it's great to hear... A uh, player with a lot of experience and far greater understanding of fighting games than my own, uh, speaking of you, Josh, reiterate the things that Dreaded and I have been saying for a while now, and it, it kind of gives credence to what we're trying to say on our podcast here, so we like to hear that. Now, uh, moving on to another question here, what other games are you looking forward to? Well, um, unfortunately, uh, I'm now, now an adult. I have a uh, Got a son on the way here. He's due next month. I'm married, so I don't really oh, have as much time as I used to. Thank you. Thank you. I feel um, you. I got two, I, so I, I understand that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I've been, I've been being told that, you know, with when they're an infant, you actually get to play games a little more because then they got to do that whole sleeping on your chest bit, and you can kind of do the, the gamer daddy with the pad and play <laughs> whatever you want. <laughs> Good luck. So, Good luck I'm with stoked. that. I'm stoked. Oh, I, I'm I'm probably going to get like a, maybe a round and then he's going to cry and throw up on me. So we'll see. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, big, big sports fan, love sports. Um, and I wasn't going to this year. I wasn't going to buy the roster update, AKA Madden, but I, <laughs> I'm a big Carolina Panthers fan as well. And Kelvin Benjamin tore his ACL and I was really excited about drafting Devin Funches. So the only way I can have these two on the field at the same time. And with Cam Newton and Greg Olson is to buy Madden. So I broke down and went oh, ahead and yeah, bought it. Um, not as bad as the previous versions, but, I mean, that's not saying much. Um, love old RPGs. <laughs> I'm a, I love the old Super Nintendo RPGs. Chrono Trigger. Secret of Man is my one of my all-time favorite games. Awesome. In fact, Project, Project Justice is also one of my all-time oh, favorites. You know, I'll try and drink. Oh, goodness. I remember when I found out Roy can shining save and that, that throw didn't scare, didn't scale at the end of an air combo and gave you a free follow up. Ooh, people were salty. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. I'm glad I know that now. Oh, it's so good. Roberto's the best character in Project Justice, hands oh, down. Man. He's, he's, he's broke. Um, and I guess some other games, uh, I, I, I watched my wife play Batman and Mad Max. <laughs> I used to play, used to play League of Legends. I played WoW. I'm really looking forward to Street Fighter V. 
I, I recently we've got split, split, but I haven't gotten the chance to to really play it as much as I wanted to. And I think I'm, I'm actually more excited for I think Final Fantasy V being released on Steam <laughs> than oh, yeah, I am I most that. other things. Um, I, I'm, I love Final like Final Fantasy four, six, and Secret of Mana are probably my top three favorite RPGs, top five favorite games of all time. So I mean, I, I have no problem going back and playing any of those just for just to have memories. Oh, actually, I am looking forward to there being potentially new Super Dodgeball. What? Since that? Oh, yes, there. Uh, Arc System bought out that. Remember the Crash and the Boys and River City Ransom? That whole that whole IP. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arc System bought it. Okay. Arc System bought the whole. Well, Arc got Double Dragon. Arguably, yep. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confirm that here. Make sure I'm not giving bad info. But I recall, I recall oh. there being a, uh, yep, yep. They, they acquired the rights to River City Ransom and Double Dragon. Okay. okay well, there's gonna be someone doing some mad googling tonight, and that would be this guy because mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. Yes, it does. So uh, they got the rights for Super Dodgeball and Kunio Kun. And that was as of June 1st of this year. All property rights of the titles that were previously owned by Technos Japan, or you know, and then later by a million company, has been transferred to Arc System Works. However, there's they have no idea what you know they're gonna do with the IPs until then, but they have them. So I'm. Oh, I'm awesome. so excited. <laughs> okay. Um, well, very cool. I wanted to ask. Uh, I also am. A, a big sports fan. We've actually had a podcast about sports, about esports. Just, just real quick, what do you think the parallels are, and and, and uh, where do you see where do you see kind of esports uh, headed? Well, this is this is a topic that I love. As as you hear, I, I make a lot of analogies, and I see there are so many parallels. I mean, it's it's where to begin. Um, you know, for the I know for the yeah, for just for time's sake. If I had to put it in the simplest way I could, I would say that I see a mixture of MMA, pro wrestling, and football. And following the American football, following what they have done, you know, and their past to success would help us exponentially. Especially just watching the growth of the of the UFC and watching how they've kind of changed the way they've done things. You know, from when they were originally being called, you know, human cockfighting. Now it's one of the most you know, popular sports in the world. I have noticed that there's been a little, there's been more, especially with online and uh, companies trying to do like online events. I think a ESL might be what's called. Whenever I hear ESL, I keep thinking English as a second language because from my my time at the Chinese restaurant. But I think I think they're running the Mortal Kombat stuff now. Electronic right. Sports League, maybe. I'm, I'm guessing that's what it is. Okay. But um, I see that, and there's a lot. You see a lot of um, like Wednesday night fights. You're starting to see fight cards now. Which I think are great. Those are a lot of fun. But I hope that we, because I hope that there's not a transition to more emphasis on fight cards and money being thrown in that aspect, and putting more focus on the major events instead. Because you know those fight cards are very popular, especially the stream monsters. You get to see really good players, really good matches. It's quick, dirty, you get the name done. recognition, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but with tournaments, you don't know who you're going to be watching. You, you know, during pools, you're going to watch you know a couple random guys, and you might not, you know that's 
that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where it's up to the you know the tos to make sure they have quality matches on the stream. Um, you know, but yeah. there's there's so much. Like I, I, I'm kind of right now in the process of trying to develop a, a gaming team, but it's we're talking a year or two off from actually getting anything together. And I, there's a lot of things like such as awesome. the, the whole training camp aspect that you see in football, where you know you got guys playing for position. That's something that I think is very important to keep people motivated. Um, it's, there's, there's, oh, there's, I could go on for days about this. I, I don't. I would maybe, hate to take up any more Maybe we can have another podcast. Such, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'd definitely be interested in having you back on the show again. To possibly oh, that, I, it would, it would, I would have. I would have a blast. It, I, this has been a lot of fun already. I'm, I'm having a great time. Um, I, I think that. that Something that we should also, I think it's something that we should also do, especially with major events. And Evo's gotten great with this. CEO is on point. And I'm, I'm glad that CEO has done this. I think that there needs to be a little bit more of that pro wrestling production when you get to the top eight, top 16, <laughs> people having entrances, you know, stuff like that. Maybe, maybe not so a little much bit like more a flash. Fight interview, but yeah, for, 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 that's what, that's what the kids want these days. They want flash and possess. So you know what? Like for example, Tekken. A lot of people said Tekken was "quote unquote" boring or bland. I I, for, I found it interesting and exciting, but some people might not like watching Tekken because there might not be enough explosions for it. Well, if there's enough explosions when the Tekken players come into play, that'll probably satisfy them. True, true. That, that's a really good point. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm for one. I'm excited to see uh, the future of it. It's like I I find myself getting more pumped about watching the replay from Stunfest 2015 than, you know, the, you know, watching my Texans probably get stomped this week or whatnot. So it's almost like becoming one thing, you know, esports and sports to me. I'm actually wearing my college team jersey as we speak. So, um, but pretty soon I'll probably have like a PR Balrog jersey. I don't know. Or maybe, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, Man, we really do appreciate uh, just you spending the time with us and, and, and sharing your thoughts and opinions. We've really, really enjoyed it. Oh, like I said, the pleasure's been all my guys. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And thank you very much, Josh. And I'd like to say, as I usually do, continue, as always, all of you who are doing it to support the USO. And I'd just like to ask our viewers, our listeners, just... Take the time to give a little bit of your time to the USO because they do great things to the troops. And the new challengers wouldn't exist without them. They wouldn't have inspired me and dreaded to go out and do this. And Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very knowledgeable. You gave us that tech and tech knowledge, your esports versus sports knowledge, everything. You just, you just kept coming. There's really nothing we could throw at you that you didn't have something for us to say. So we really appreciate you being here. I'd like to thank you guys once again for inviting me, and thank you for your service. And I hope you all have a great evening, and see you next time. All right, I think you're going to it out for us. Or dread it, dread it. Until the next out. challenge! <laughs> I'm getting better at that. You are. You're getting Peace out. Great.